listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. So an interesting uh, question floated through the uh, uh, internet this week and it was so simple and so basic I thought I would share it Um, and indeed quite profound. Basically the question was, I don't understand why paying attention to the breath is so important. And certainly it's something that I de-emphasize, I think, to a certain extent when I think of all my uh, Zen brothers and sisters and the attention paid to posture and breath and the teaching that goes along into those two areas. Uh, It was how I was raised, so to speak, and yet it's not really where I focus most of my uh, version of the teaching. That said, I think it's invaluable. It's absolutely critical. And the reason is that what our posture actually forces is uh, when we pay real close attention to the way our body is, we begin to uh, allow for our body, this is going to sound weird, but we allow for our body to become an experience as opposed to the experiencer. There's a subtle difference there. But the experiencer, the one that's making it happen, tends to reify or code for this I sense. On the other hand, if we pay real close attention to our body, if we put our body in a, in a position where physically it's not necessarily comfortable, but it's stable, then what we end up doing is we end up paying very close attention to this body. This body arises in our experience of awareness as an experience. It's like we can watch the body, how it resists, you know, having our knees in this particular way or having our back in this particular uh, position or how we wish we were lying down or how, you know, whatever it might be, okay? The posture allows for us to actually pay real close attention to what's going on in the body, okay? Similarly, the breath, if we pay attention to the breath, we cannot help, we cannot help but be attentive to what is going on right now. The breath is always going on, unless you're holding your breath, and then that becomes a source of suffering for most of us, okay? If you're holding your breath, just like if you're attaching to anything, what you're doing is you're creating a situation where eventually you're going to have to let go or it will, something's going to collapse. There will be some calamitous moment. This reminds me of a child-rearing situation I saw once where the kid... um, uh, I think this was on a, it was either, a, the image I'm having is a New York subway. 
but it may have been London tube or may have been BART, some, <laughs> some train, some commuter train. And I remember um, watching this kid throw this tantrum and then <gasps> hold its breath, at which point the mother promptly freaked out. Do not hold your breath, please, don't do And the kid couldn't have been more than three. I'm guessing it was two and a half years old or so. It's like it suddenly registered on, uh, on her face. I got her. Now I'm going to have some fun. I'll wait till my face turns blue and then really freak her out. Well, this is exactly what happened. And the mother really started freaking, please, honey, breathe, breathe. And everybody in the train is just kind of going, oh, my God. You know. <laughs> Uh, the kid eventually passed out, <laughs> passed out, and then when it passed out, it inhaled, okay? Now, I say passed out, it wasn't like some big dramatic flop. It was just kind of like you could tell the kid was like seeing stars or something most likely, and then catching its breath and so forth. What would have happened if the mother just allowed for that? You, oh, you're going to hold your breath? Yeah, enjoy, and then carried on her conversation or whatever it is. This is similar to our situation as practitioners. If we pay attention to our breath, it forces the present moment. It forces any notion of future or of past into its own special category of future or past. We then can be right here in this body, in this moment. And when we begin to stabilize there, in this body, in this moment. We begin to have a certain shift in our relationship with everything. We can see it start to unfold actually quite magically. It's different in all beings. It shows up differently for each person. But what's common is that we begin to see the holy in what is heretofore seemed either mundane or even profane. When we begin to see the holy in another, then a bow with namaste actually becomes something that is reflected back on us and through us all in one motion. When our attentive awareness to our breath forces the present moment, forces our observation of body as an experience, mind is seen as an experience as well. Nothing to fear, nothing to push away, nothing to hide from, but something to recognize, something to be with. And if a thought comes and hooks us and pulls us out of that present moment, we gently refocus our attention on the breath. And in this situation, again and again and again, practiced attentive awareness to this type of uh, being allows for this addiction we have to our mind to slowly kind of fall away. This addiction we have to this idea of separation, this addiction we have to our pain, this addiction we have to our uh, successes and the preservation of those successes, any addiction that we might have begins to kind of loosen a little bit. And then the core teaching of all non-dual uh, teachings, the core teaching 
shows up simply as the opening up to space. We allow for space to, its, to assume its rightful oceanic presence in our moments. Gives us a little more breathing room. We have a little more spaciousness around our thoughts, around our beliefs. We have a little more spaciousness around this idea of a body. We begin to experience it as something that's falling apart slowly but surely, or maybe even quickly. I'm noticing more the quickly thing right now. And I, I'm, I, I know some of you have got me doubled by age practically, so you're looking at me going, quit your whining. <laughs> Shut up, Zen boy, keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a little arthritis. <laughs> yeah. But the point, the point that I'm uh, trying to make here rather clumsily is that when we pay attention to our posture, when we pay attention to our breath, when we are then afforded an opportunity to pay real close attention to our minds and the thoughts therein, suddenly stuff can open up. Suddenly there can be space that comes through and into freely. We become literally unhindered and undivided in the way we meet the world. And that's a gift to everyone. It's a gift to yourselves. It's a gift to your partners. It's a gift to your loved ones. It's especially a gift to those uh, enemies that you may have, whether those enemies are people or those enemies are ideas. And yet we can live. We can live committed lives of integrity from this place. We're just not clinging to outcomes all the time. So for 30 minutes, be that. For 30 minutes, be open. For 30 minutes, experience your body fully, all its aches, pains, and pleasures. For 30 minutes, watch your mind. Don't try to do anything to it. Just be there with it. For 30 minutes, be quiet. flipping channels today, trying to find a, 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 ch a, a program for my daughter. Um, she really loves this particular show on PBS called Super Why, and it involves asking questions. So I think pretty zen and so forth. Oh, that's pretty cool. So I'm trying to find Super Why, and I suddenly uh, happened upon a rerun of uh, Star Trek, the old first generation from 1966, you know, uh, when William Shatner was so svelte and <laughs> it, it was really, really, it was really cool because it was, it was the intro scene and then they were about to have the, uh, you know, his line, space, the final frontier, 
These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, to boldly go where no man has gone before, to seek out new life and new civilization. I screwed it up, I'm sure, but you get the idea. You know, and then whoosh, whoosh, there goes the Starship Enterprise. And I'm just absolutely mesmerized by the tube. And Kate's going, Dad, <laughs> Dad, come on. It's time for Super Y. And I'm going, this is, this is like amazing television, Kate. And she's like, no, no, I want to. So there's clearly no, no, no pleasing her until I got to, a, <laughs> got to Super Y. Uh, I never did find it, but um, <laughs> I paid for it. But still, the idea, as I was listening to Shatner use those opening words, space, the final frontier, it was so much about what we're doing in spiritual practice, that what we're really uncovering is the space between and instead of trying to fill the space between with something, we begin to get very comfortable with the space between as nothing. That the space between actually, if it's between us and another, if the space between is between what we perceive to be our minds and everything else, no matter what, the space between is really what this work is about and actually celebrating it, nourishing it, so that the space between simply becomes the space that is. That the final frontier actually is when space is seen by itself as space. It may sound really strange, but it's where infinity begins to birth itself through us. Instead of an, uh, a being that can recognize, see, and participate in the infinity, infinity recognizes the folly of that view, okay, and bursts through so that infinity actually begins to dance with itself. And every single one of us represents our own unique dance step. Some samba, some jitterbug, some tango, some waltz, some pogo, it's an 80s reference, some slow dance, some kind of trance dance, whatever. Every being is infinity dancing in its own way. So on the one hand, there's a uniqueness to each of us. On the other hand, we all are dealing with the same energetic impulses. We are all fused by this great expanse of space, the final frontier. It's not a frontier. Space is not a frontier unless one is seeking. If one is seeking, one sees it as, oh boy, this is, this is the last stop. If one is not seeking, one then tends to see space as something to be conquered. Uh, and so what I would offer up, hopefully encouragingly, is that you begin 
taking this work of uncovering and celebrating space, I would take it very seriously as you smile. That we are here for a very short amount of time and to begin to recognize that uh, every single thing is giving us, an, is just is offering awakening to us, everything. There isn't one thing in our life that isn't just saying, are you ready? Are you ready now? How about now? You ready now? Are you ready now? How about now? And that will keep going. It will keep going until you take it, or I take it. And any of us takes that, takes that invitation and follows it for uh, as long and as best we can, with as much integrity as we can. We begin seeing that there really are just two aspects to this whole experience called life. That we have the small and then we have the big. And the big we might equate with the infinite or the absolute or however you want to talk about it. And then you have the small which tends to be bound, tends to be egoic, it tends to have resistance patterns that show up. It tends to see and act upon all that is separate or at least perceived as separate as opposed to acting on and from what is totally open and released. Sometimes we call the small, or at least I refer to it a great deal, as circumstantial living, living by circumstance. Every one of us has circumstances that shows up. And do we then deal with those circumstances and react to them and compete with them or compete or reject their outcomes, whatever, cling to their outcomes perhaps, whatever it might be, we tend to have these circumstances and the ebb and flow, the back and forth, the jab, the lead, the war, whatever it happens to be with the small, that happens in circumstantial living. What informs circumstantial living, what's underneath circumstantial living is ultimate living. Instead of small self, circumstantial living, we have big self, ultimate living. And ultimate living is where there's a conscious release of the infinity through us. There's a conscious acceptance of everything that the infinite is offering us. We become literally just like this, this open gate that swings to and fro, back and forth, just like when we breathe. I wish I could remember the exact quote that Suzuki Roshi gave, but he's so beautiful in uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, where he says, our throat is essentially just like an open door swinging. There's no inside and no outside, really. It's just breath, right? And then ultimately, we can become that door. As a fully integrated being, we can become that door for the infinite to just kind of go out and come in, just like air comes out and goes in as we breathe. In circumstantial living, preferences always arise. We can become very intimate with these preferences. Preferences actually show us where our attachments are. So it's not that preferences are bad. Actually, preferences clue us in to where we're clinging. And when we can uncover where we're clinging, when we can bring the light of our attention to where we're clinging, it automatically kind of starts to open up. We become aware of it. Carl Jung uh, talked about this a great deal. If we can begin to expose 
what's previously been secreted. It's no longer a secret. It can no longer hold us. Freud also referred to things in, in that, that way. And they, they said it in probably much better terms. I'm just I'm paraphrasing as I'm, I can't remember quotes in case you haven't recognized this. <laughs> but I can kind of remember what they said. So my footnotes go nowhere, but you get an idea. I'll at least give them credit for it. Uh, but I think Jung's point is really powerful. If we begin to let ourselves become exposed to our deepest sense of awareness, the exposure to that light eliminates so much of the darkness that surrounds, that creates them mysterious, that gives them power. So watching our preferences, watching where we, I prefer this to that, that usually clues us into something that we cling to. I prefer this shirt to that shirt because I'm clinging to a self-image. Does, does that make sense? So the shirt might be a preference, but what the shirt allows to actually become or what the shirt actually clothes, the image that the shirt actually gives, that's the bigger issue. That's where the attachment is typically. Attachments themselves, once we get to the preference, we see the preference leads to the attachment, we can see that the attachment is what helps to give life to our delusion. That word offends a lot of people. They don't like hearing about delude. I'm not deluded. Shut up. Okay. It's not that you're deluded. It's that when we act from a place where we don't see consciously the infinite going through us and coming in, when the boundary of self and other is very strong, when the sense of I is really powerful and the sense of you is powerful, when we see that, there isn't that flow. And when there is no flow, there is only delusion. Non-delusion is complete and total unhindered flow of space. So the preferences leads to the attachments, which point out delusion. And so here's the kicker. Our entire experience points out delusion. And then we start to recognize that every single thing that shows up ultimately, is delusion unless we can see through it. Every story we have is false, or at least utterly and completely partial until we can see through it. That all things, all things arise and all things fall. Everything is temporary. We know that to be true. We also know that every single thing is interdependent. I had uh, uh, someone explain, and I've shared this with the Sangha before, so forgive if you feel like I'm looping, but uh, I had this, this teacher explain how when she saw um, Schindler's List for the first time, she, was, she remembered how that there was a piece of writing from a Holocaust survivor that she had read that 
just popped back into her, her, her mind. And as a Zen teacher, she said it was so valuable because the writing basically said, I depend on everyone for my sight because anyone could take my glasses off of my face like a guard did and smash them. We depend on other people to obey or at least pay very close attention to traffic signals. We depend on them, right? For our own lives, our own lives. So everything is temporary and everything depends on everything else in order to exist. And then everything ultimately is the infinite manifesting somehow. You and you and you, all of you, are the infinite. You are made of stars. The same stuff. The spiral in your DNA is the same as the spiral in the galaxy known as Milky Way. It is the same math. It applies. Okay? We're all part of this great expanse. If you can agree that there is something infinitely expansive and that you are here witnessing what that is that's infinitely expansive, you are part of that. And that is part of you. You are not separate from the infinite. And you see that in any capacity, when we begin to look at ourselves as separate from the infinite, we go back to that space of delusion. And yet entire lives are built on that. Entire livelihoods, entire cultures are built on us versus them, me versus you. When in actuality, the infinity offers us, or the infinite offers us, a removal of that one word, versus. Everything is with. Everything is together. Everything arises together. Everything falls together. Everything is infinite, and everything is interdependent. So, this, as, as, Far-fetched as this may sound, or as esoteric as this may sound, whatever. If this sounds really intellectual, I'm, I'm not meaning it to be that way. It's actually, um, it's actually a roundabout way of saying even this path is delusion. Even the path that I'm articulating here is delusion. But can we be comfortable <clears throat> dancing with it? Can we at least follow this path far enough to where we can begin to shake loose the stuff that we don't need and see what happens. Can we recognize that there ultimately are no such thing as mistakes, as only teaching, there's only stuff that shows us more of this simplicity. Can we begin to fearlessly observe our experience. Those are the questions, among others, that begin to kind of inform a practice. Questioning the path itself. Questioning the path itself begins to support a clarity, even though the path itself is delusion by this definition. We begin to see that we are participants in something really grand, always. That everything ultimately is a gift.
that there paradoxically is nowhere to hide. That there is nothing we can take with us. That if it isn't grace and ease that's being experienced, it's ego. And then if we relax, we recognize that there is always more love to give and always more love to receive. Sir. This comes out, right? Um, tendency, mistakes, how you view them and how does one work with all these things? That's a great question. Um, I'm gonna address that and I'm hoping that the utter and complete simplicity of my answer will get to the complexity of the first part of your question. And I'll probably fail, but anyway. If we look at any situation of complexity, we can distill it down to a very, very simple uh, competition between an I sense and a you sense or they sense. That's the problem. So when you begin to experience uh, let's say a power dynamic and uh, you know an inequity and a power dynamic all you have to do is recognize that they are merely manifesting a quality that you have within you that you may not thrash around with like they uh, are exhibiting but that you have as well and that it's something that you tend to maybe not want to pay much attention to or that it's something you like to push away typically the trigger whenever resistance is brought up Okay, from another being, it's because ego is getting ready to go to war, it's somehow threatening. If on the other hand, we begin to become very, very intimate with the ego's response, we become very intimate with the ego's response, we can then begin to allow for whatever arrows are coming at us to kind of go through. When the arrows can go through, our response then can be generous, not only to the other person, but to us. And the generous uh, uh, response, when it's not predicated on a me versus a you, but basically, we're all in this together, this is all temporary, my resistance is dependent upon my egoic clinging to some other delusion. When we can begin to see all that, and practice is what helps bring up the space that allows for that type of a, uh, a practice, uh, excuse me, uh, an opening. The arrows can go through and our response might sound like, thank you, but that's not the direction I think is best for me at this point. You can walk, you can work to change whatever the situation is, right? Or you can accept it totally. Those are the only three options you ever have but the clarity for which one to choose, which path to choose, 
always shows up when it's a choice of an I versus a them or infinity playing itself out as a teaching in front of me in this moment. So instead of a versus, it becomes a with. They're giving you an invitation, in other words. They are inviting you to look more deeply into the situation that you call you. And that works with anything. So there's no such thing as a mistake there. Yeah, the ego looks at it that way. Of course. It attaches it to it. And um, I can do the loving kindness, which, which is quite good. Our inertia, our egoic inertia kind of comes back. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's just the ride and you got to watch it. And now, it's, I think for me it's frustrating because I've seen it before and you get caught up and then you're like, well, wait a second, haven't I evolved from this? I'm learning from the past and it seems like, no, it's still the same ego. It hasn't changed. The real kicker there is that the ego, ego most likely won't change. The ego's relationship with itself will begin to change the more awareness is, is, uh, begins to shine. When the awareness of ego begins to light up, ego can no longer do what it's always done. And it becomes weaker. It can't do what it, it just, it's like, it's like that light of awareness ages the ego in some capacity where it's not as, it's not as quick, it's not as mercurial, it's not as, uh, you know, it just kind of, uh, it's been exposed, it's been seen. It's like if you were, <laughs> if you went and saw like a, a dramatic production, okay, and then suddenly through some just ugliness, you stood up and you go, this is fake, this is not real. You know, and the actors on stage, I guarantee you they'd be thrown, right? <laughs> and that's exactly what happens when the witnessing awareness in the audience of mental experience begins to look at the, look at the stage of mind. It doesn't have to say anything. It could, you know, <laughs> you know? And then the ego's like, ah, shoot, you know? But this, there's nothing about this that will last if your meditation is only done for those 30 minutes. If your meditation for those 30 minutes is a reminder of what your day should be like, then it tends to actually carry a little bit more, uh, uh, if you will, experiential gravitas. It, it can hold a little more. But if we meditate, and it's like, okay, done, boom. We tend to just turn meditation into a thing as opposed to a way. So when you're meditating, like for loving kindness, and throwing it at that particular us versus them, that person that you know, so-called slighted you, whatever, didn't protect you, and they're in that position where their job title is to do that, yet they're not conscious of it, they're unconscious. Mm -hmm. And it creates... Me, this ego, which is it's very angry, 
That's a pretty thick story you got there. Yeah, exactly. No, it's nobody's job to protect you. <laughs> okay. It's nobody's job to protect you, to respect you, to violate, to support. It's nobody else's job. So whenever that story goes off, basically what happens is there is uh, our ego, our separate self-sense, is playing out a, th a self-authored story that keeps us infantilized. It keeps us as a child, as a third grader. And so I go back, they're giving you a gift every time that story comes up, they're giving you a chance to actually see through it. It's okay. Damn right. There's nothing that's not okay. There are no mistakes. There are no problems. Now the mind sees lots of problems. The mind sees lots of mistakes, or ego. I'll use those words, ego or mind, interchangeably. The mind sees all this as, this is a disaster. This is unjust. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay? But the awakened mind sees it as, oh, wow, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. What's the generous response here? For this aspect of infinity as well as that aspect of infinity? How can we let the, in, the infinite flow through this experience more cleanly in an unrestricted, unhindered way? And when that question starts getting asked, answers will come through in really, really giving ways. You always have those, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Great question. Young man? This election season must have a huge number of teachings <laughs> <laughs> built into the advertisements and so forth. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Which ones stand out most in your mind as you look at the issue of what you just been discussing? Well, I think uh, elections are, are really this is going to sound really strange because you, you've known me for, what now, 70 years? Um, and <laughs> I have, uh, teasing you. Uh, dog years. Yeah, dog years, right. Yes, yes. I, um, I think there was, I went through, a, uh, as, as you know, kind of a strident, you know, uh, a hardened left-wing attitude towards the world and, you know, that, damn it, we ought to love each other and the people that don't love should be taken out and maimed. <laughs> Something akin to that, you know, not a, not a very loving posture in the name of love, right? And I think what's happened to me over the years, especially as this practice has kind of unfolded, is that I don't feel so strongly about anything. And that gets in the way, uh, especially when people want me to feel strongly about things. Having said that, I listened to an entire speech today uh, offered up by um, former Governor Palin at uh, Sharon Engel's rally. Uh, you know, the Tea Party, Tea Party Express is having this uh, you know, this nationwide tour 
uh, and one of the big uh, taglines was, uh, tell Washington they're fired. And there would have been a time when that would have really incensed me, you know. Oh, can you believe, you know, and instead, I found myself, I was listening to it in the car as I was driving, and I kind of would check in with my body as I was listening, like, you know, we need to party like it's 1773, <laughs> which I, I can't account for her education or lack thereof, but 1773 was not a really party atmosphere in the United States. It's when the Tea Party happened, but that wasn't much of a party. It was a terrorist act, you know, in really small Small T terrorist act, okay? There would have been a time when that would have just riled me. She's so stupid, you know, how could the, you know, the Republicans, whatever. I think when I was checking in, I was actually feeling a warm, bizarrely warm area in my heart. And there was a smile on my face. And I couldn't believe it as I was driving, going, wow, that's pretty interesting. I wonder why. I don't know. But I know it's okay for her to have that you know, she, it's fine with me that she has that space, that other people from the other side of the aisle have that space that they occupy, that there is all this egoic clash going on, okay, culturally, individually, and so forth. I tend not to get too caught by it. It doesn't mean I don't have opinions about it, but that there's just kind of a loosening. And you pump a little wine in me, I might get a little pissed off or something like that. They are teaching. Oh, it's all teaching. It's all teaching. In fact, if you find resistance in any of it, it's basically the universe offering you a chance to surrender. There's, there's a story that you're clinging to. Now, that doesn't mean don't go out and vote. It doesn't mean become indifferent. It means don't let another's unconsciousness inspire the birth of some within you. Does that kind of make sense? And I think it's also healthy to uh, uh, be careful about what, sh what one exposes oneself to. If you are, you know, I mean, like, it's a great practice if you get really far along to look at some of the extremes and see if it catches you. Watch Fox News. Listen to Rush. Listen to Olbermann. Listen to Chris Matthews. See if Rachel Maddow gets you going or if, if uh, Sean Hannity gets you going, if any of that happens, basically what they're doing is they're, they're giving you an invitation to let go of more. But then once you let go of more, participate even more fully. And that way, compassion tends to win out within uh, you know, election cycles. Um, I'm still convinced that, that there, is a, there is an opportunity in the offing here, no matter what happens uh, you know, in November, no matter who wins, no matter what happens, it's an opportunity for every one of us to participate more thoroughly, more deeply, more consciously in a, in a process that desperately needs our participation. It's quite beautiful, actually. It's, it's, like it's, a, it's, it's one of the reasons why I think the teaching is so profound, because it continually inspires. Don't tell me who you're voting for. Because I don't want to get in a fight here in front of people. It's making me, it's making me feel um, hypocritical because I, I feel intolerant of the intolerant. Yes, yes. When we become intolerant of the intolerance, it's like attaching to non-attachment. Yeah, it's, it's Zen's way of pulling on its own e-brake. 
<laughs> okay? So it's really, it's really critical that you not become intolerant of intolerance, otherwise you just become part of the war. Yeah. And if someone's intolerance inspires your own, you have allowed circumstantial, small self, preferential, attachment-oriented delusion to inspire an act, right? And so that's why I think it's a beautiful thing to bow. Bow to the one that fires you up. Start small, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's about time. Thank you so much for coming tonight. I appreciate it.